All right, you guys ready for a big time statement? Big time statement. I don't know if you're ready for this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. The Dallas Cowboys are the greatest football team in the history of the NFL. There it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> From the pulpit, I heard that. All right. Anyone with me on that at all? Okay. Our new kids ministry director is a Cowboys fan, and uh, I think that's why she got hired, probably. But I don't know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. She's well qualified. But uh, I actually read an article this week that talked about the 10 most annoying fan bases in all of sports history. Dallas Cowboys were number two. Only, only second to, I guess, the Miami Heat. I don't know what they've done. I don't, I'm not a Miami Heat fan, so there it is, of the NBA. I love when you make these definitive statements. It's so fun because it usually elicits a very volatile response, right? Because <laughs> right? what you feel is like, how arrogant of you to say that, especially... If you're fans of like Patriots, Steelers, 49ers, any of those guys that have had uh, any of and it, you know, listen, if you're not one of those teams, like, okay, I mean, it's, it's not happening for you. Okay, you're not the best team of all time. But there are other franchises that could certainly make that kind of a claim uh, without question because they've had uh, incredible legacies. But when you make these definitive statements, it just makes people people react in a very, like you guys were yelling back at me. I'm a preacher for crying out loud. What's wrong with y'all? Anyway, you get what I'm saying? It elicits something, a, a kind of a big response and it happens uh, often. Or you had one of those, like, I don't really care about the NFL, so I don't have any response at all. It's not any, even relevant to my life. We have one of those kinds of responses. When we make definitive claims, it often roils other people who will disagree with that. One of the truths that we find from scripture is that not only is Christianity the one right, true religion, but that our God is the one right, true God. And even more than that, that there is only one way to have access to the one true God. And that is through the sacrificial life of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ, period. Now, that's a definitive statement, and it, in our culture, often pulls those same kind of responses out from those that might not agree with that. But Jesus doesn't really leave any room on this particular subject. John chapter 14, where you are, if you will, you can flip to verse 6, because you get to see Jesus' own words describing this particular truth in which Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Hear this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't leave a lot of room. Now, listen, as surely as I say that to a room full of those that might uh, agree with this statement that Jesus just made, and you guys that are joining us online, it's entirely possible that you would have no problems with that. But ironically, studies have been done and suggest nearly 70% of self-described Christians do not believe that Jesus is the only way. Let me say that again. 70% of followers, uh, supposed Christians, or those that would call themselves Christians, 
would say that they do not believe that Jesus is the only way. In fact, people who say that they're Christians often will say, well, people can get to heaven no matter what they believe, right? Or they might say something like, it's really arrogant to impose our ideas on others. Or one of our favorite statements often to make is that, well, the Bible tells us not to judge people. The Bible tells us, which is true, but doesn't necessarily have any uh, connection with this statement on the sufficiency of Christ alone. But because Jesus wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't coy on this issue, and because he didn't leave any room for interpretation, it's important for us to explore this because it can stir things up. In fact, Jesus actually called his followers to help share this truth, that there is one true creator God and there's only one way to be right with him, to know and live with God for eternity. It's exclusively through himself. And Jesus gave that to his followers and then his followers took that message and they carried it to the next generation. Those even closest to him, the ones that were right in and near his ministry, when they were looking in the face of being beaten and jailed for their faith. They never relented from this particular truth. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just been arrested because they're proclaiming Jesus as God incarnate, Son of God, Savior of the world. And, and they come to them, the authorities arrest them, come to them and say, you cannot preach this truth, that, that any longer. And before they were released, they said, listen, not another word or there will be consequences for it. So the question is, did they at that point back off and go, yeah, there's probably multiple ways to be able to get to God. Did they back off of their statement under the threat of being arrested and beaten? Answer is, no way. Not a chance. I love what, here's what Peter actually says to them. It's in Acts chapter four, and we'll throw it up on the screen for you. Acts chapter four, verse 11, it says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And hear this, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. The apostle Paul, he's discipling the next generation. He's writing to Timothy, one of his chief disciples. And he says it this way to Timothy, in chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This statement, this belief it's definitive to our faith. There's no real wiggle room in the idea that Jesus Christ is the only way. You know, today we're going to, at the end of our second service, we're going to baptize some incredible people. Why are we baptizing them? 
Why do we baptize people? Why do we do that? Because in Jesus' own words, right before he's about to leave, as he comes alive and he's victorious over the grave, and there are more than 500 people saw him alive in the flesh, and he makes this statement. He says, I want you to go and tell everyone, everyone, not just Jewish people. I want you to tell the whole world. And I want you to tell them to know me and walk with me and treasure me. And I want you to make disciples, meaning call them to be followers of me. And when you call them to be followers of me, I want you to baptize them in whose name? In my Father's name and in my name and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was the chief king of the universe. Jesus believed, hear this, if Jesus believed that people could be right with God, no matter what they believed, as long as they were sincere about whatever faith they might hold, why did he have to go to the cross at all? You understand, if you can be, if you can get there, kind of no matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere, beloved, hear this, then the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus is empty. Jesus didn't leave room, not in what he taught and not in what he did, for there to be any question about the nature of of our need for the one and only Jesus to give us access to the Father. Why would his followers go to their death proclaiming his name? Because Jesus' lordship was never up for debate. It never was. It's what he taught. It's what his disciples and his apostles declared. I don't know if you've ever, you ever look back on history and wonder why the first followers of Jesus were so persecuted. I mean, even outside of Israel, even in all the Gentile world, they were literally despised. Every town they went to where churches were established, there was constant persecution. There were people trying to change and uh, move and, uh, and, and kind of destroy the doctrines that were being preached by the disciples as they planted churches. In Rome, hear this, in Rome, in the Roman world, Everyone worshiped gods. Everyone. They had a slew of gods you could worship. There was no problem with people worshiping gods. That happened all the time. What made Christianity any different from all of the other religions and gods that were worshiped in the Roman world? What's the difference? It's because they came and they said and believed that Jesus was not just one of the gods you could pick up and put in your pocket. He was the lone God. They proclaimed one God through Christ. And that's what the Roman world couldn't stand. That's why Christians were persecuted in ways that no other, if you will, worshipers of any other faiths ever experienced. Jesus never was and never has been just one of the options out there. That's never been a part of our faith. It's always been the way and the truth and the life. One man. Period. 
And so from that deeply held belief, the world's always wrestled. They've brought lots, many arguments to try to decry the claims of Christ as the only way. And so I just want to take a few minutes, just a few, to be able to hold up a few of the arguments that we'll hear about Jesus being the only way. So that one, a couple of reasons. One, we have this truth anchored in our, in our souls before we leave today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I want to encourage you to hear. But two, my guess is you know many people that really wrestle with this. You know many people that have a hard time with Christ as the only way. And so I want to just be able to lift up a few of these arguments and to be able to speak to them from the word of God. One of the arguments is this. Listen, saying Jesus is the only way is incredibly arrogant, right? That's, that's how arrogant are you to say that there's one right way, right? There's a pretty popular uh, parable. I think it comes from India, but, and you may have heard it before, but it goes something like this. There were three blind men who were asked to, uh, to describe or come up and touch an elephant and describe an elephant. And each one walked up to the elephant and touched it at different parts. And so there was one that came up to the body and said, again, these are three blind men. He said, well, the elephant is like a wall. That's what the elephant is like. Another man walks up and touches the trunk and says, no, the elephant is like a snake. And then yet another, the other man comes up, the other blind man comes up and he touches the tusk and he says, no, the elephant is like a spear. The point that people try to make in that story is that no one blind man has the whole picture, right? So they should be all able, so they should all be open to what each other's added to the picture. No one really sees the whole picture, and so we should all just be cool with how each person experiences it. That in the same way, no religion has the full picture. We should be open to other religions because only then will we get the actual truth. But here's the problem. The only way to claim that each blind man only saw part of the elephant is if the one telling the story is not blind and could see the whole thing. The only way you can begin to make that, to claim that all religions are right, you have to claim to have a superior vantage point from which you can see all of the religions. That's the only way you can actually try to make that. All you're effectively saying is, well, you only see parts, but I see the whole picture. How? We don't know. But that's how the argument often goes. That's the only way. You can say that each one doesn't have the full picture. If someone is standing outside of it acting like, well, they have the real knowledge. There's nothing more arrogant than that, I promise you. Believing Jesus is the only way to God isn't any more arrogant than believing that there are many ways to God. Everyone, hear this, everyone's making truth claims. The one who says, ah, we'll all get there. They're all coming from a presupposition they're all coming from a place of arrogance saying, ah, I've got it figured out. I've got it figured out. I love, uh, I've mentioned this book several times throughout this series. There's, Tim Keller wrote uh, in The Reason for God, and I love what he has to say to those that are skeptical of this idea of one God. He says, skeptics believe 
that any exclusive claims to a superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But hear this. This objection is itself a religious belief. It assumes God is unknowable or that God is loving but not wrathful or that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks in Scripture. All of these are unprovable faith assumptions. In addition... Their proponents believe that they have a superior way to view things. They believe the world would be a better place if everyone dropped the traditional religion's views of God and the truth and adopted theirs. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. Hear this, everyone's standing in a place of absolute. Even those who say many religions, many gods, many paths, they're all standing with presuppositions. Christianity is not the only one standing in that place. Please hear that. It's no more exclusive than any other truth claim. Even the ones that say either always or no ways, each way Each view is espousing its own definitive truth claim. So let's ask this question. (laughs) Can Christians be arrogant? I'll quote my mom, you bet your sweet bippy, which I don't even know what that means. And if that's inappropriate, I'm sorry. I have no idea what that means. But my mom said that all the time. Gosh. Yes, Christians can be arrogant. Makes my heart sad. You can also, by the way, point the finger. Yeah, Christians can be arrogant as if I've never been that way or we've never been that way. Of course we can. In fact, I said this last week, and this has kind of been a thread running through this entire series. The way we communicate truth is just as important as the truth itself And the church has missed it on this level. Can we just be honest with that? We have the one true king of the universe, creator God. It's in our heart, possession God showed us. Why be mean-spirited with that truth? I don't know. But it has been that way. And we could back off and begin to ask God for some humility. I pray that we, at least uh, the new river gets to stand in that place. Listen, that that argument leads to a whole other argument, which is, listen, believing in Jesus alone just makes Christians feel and act morally superior to others. Meaning, well, if you follow Jesus, you end up looking down the nose at everyone. And can we be honest? In a sometimes good-hearted, sometimes not so good-hearted effort, we often do look down our nose at the rest of the world that is morally inferior And it's one of the true broken marks on the church. And I feel like we should be a people who lament those ways in which the church has not acted with kindness and has not been charitable with the truth. If if we all stepped back and actually think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what have we actually functionally said? Those that follow Jesus have said this. Apart from God, I am morally bankrupt. I'm a moral failure apart from God. 
I have had sin in my life. I recognize that. And I have seen my own brokenness. And therefore, I know that I need something outside of myself in order to be saved. And that I am putting my full faith and trust, not in my ability to be good, but in Jesus's goodness and have believed that he has given that to me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Anything else is empty. It's Christian by name only. And that happens a lot in the Western world. But church, we get to recognize as followers of Jesus, there's not enough good doing in this life. There's not enough moral standards we can live up to to be able to be right with God. The scripture says it best in Isaiah. It says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We got nothing to bring. This is what Christianity actually is. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. That he made a way for me and for all people to be able to be right with God if we would just trust him. This is the gospel. So is, have, have we been, has the church often stood in a place where we've looked down our nose on those that are morally inferior? You bet it, we have. We ought to be people that are quick to repent. Since if you're a follower of Jesus here, you've already done the business of recognizing your need, my need. I love how Paul writes it. Uh, as he has said in so many of the letters to the New Testament church, says in 1 Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love what Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Just there's the humility, church. There's the humility. We have so many desires for our culture, for our nation right now, on a moral level, but we aren't getting there browbeating people into it. We'll see the world and our nation change when we come with humility pointing to the Savior and the King. Any sense of moral superiority in any Christian which we might all wrestle with at different times in, in a world that is increasingly devolving and moving towards chaos. Any sense of moral superiority that we, care is, that we carry is not due to the truth of Jesus. It's due to our own pride and arrogance. It needs to be repented of so that we love people well. Listen, we don't have to let go of moral truth. We don't have to not care about the moral fabric of the culture in which we live in. Okay, but we must communicate these truths as those who have also been saved and are being saved because of our own brokenness. That's the heart we got to carry with the world around us. Humility is the way forward. We say that here often. I'll just say it again. Humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward. Humility is the way forward for the church. And I only say that because that was Jesus' way, fully uh, authoritative and fully humble. He embodied it perfectly, and he showed us. Last argument, we'll finish up. People say that believing Jesus, that he's the only way, is just plain divisive. I mean, you're creating problems. You're creating problems. 
with this divisive language and divisive belief. And so here we got it. We do have to take a step back and recognize that Christianity teaches, if you will, some exclusivity, which is not super popular in our culture today. Christianity teaches that there is only one way, only one way to the Father, or one way to God. But let's talk about exclusivity, by the way. I don't, have you ever felt left out of something? You ever felt left out before? It didn't feel good. I was even thinking about this. Remember, I moved to a new school in fifth grade, and I just, just wanted to be with the cool kids and just wasn't. You ever, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know. I brought up fifth grade. And it's like, it might be a trauma I need to pray through or something. But I was like, when have I not been accepted? I was like, fifth grade. You know, just remembering those times. It was tough times. Nobody likes feeling excluded. Nobody wants to be excluded. That, that's not a, in fact, the, our world is wrestling with this idea of inclusion and exclusion. And how does this whole thing work? We all have memories of different times. Every one of us has experienced some measure of exclusivity where we felt like we were on the outs and it really, really hurt. Of all the ways that there are to be exclusive in this life, hear this, being a follower of Jesus is just so radically inclusive. What I mean by that is simple fact. The arms of Jesus are wide open, wide open. Yes, hear this. There are lordship issues that we all get to address when we come into alignment with his heart and his truth and his voice and his thoughts. We get to come into alignment with it. When we say lordship, when we talk about Lord, King, and Savior, what we're saying is I don't get to call the shots on my life anymore. I get to come up under what Jesus says is right and true. So there's a lordship thing. And our lives end up being shaped by who he is and his heart and his plans for our lives. There's no question, but hear this. Following Jesus is the most inclusive, exclusive there ever was. It's the most, meaning it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. If you're black or white, doesn't matter what nation you come from, doesn't matter how gross and broken your background and past is. Jesus' arms are wide open to be in his family. Wide open. Come on in. See me, acknowledge me. And I will make you and give you a new life. Literally, no one is uninvited. No one. In fact, nor has Jesus looked and said, well, if you, you better get your morality right in order to be accepted by me. You want to talk about exclusive? Happens all over the earth. Everybody's got exclusions. Jesus is wide open. Come on into the family. That's what the way Peter said it to the church. Chapter three of his first letter, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Hear this, but it's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus went to the cross so that his arms would be open wide to say, 
anyone, no matter how broken you are or ever have been, you can come and be in my family. I'll give you my righteousness and I'll take all of your pain. I'll take all of your failures. I'll take all of your sin, past, present, and future. And that's really where I want to finish this morning. We have a few minutes left. This is what it means when we stand with this truth, Christ alone. You can come on up, Luke. When we stand in that place, Christ alone, what we all get the chance to do is to open our hands again, not with moral superiority across the face of the earth, but with humility to remember what God has done for us first. Hear this. The scripture says, without question, every one of us, hear this, every one of us were enemies of God, separated from him because of our sin. And you and I don't stand as followers of Jesus because we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps to decide that we're going to make something of ourselves. We came with empty hands and said, God, we have nothing to bring. But we get all of your righteousness. I love how Isaiah said it. He says, come and buy you who have nothing. Buy choice meat and milk. Those of you who have nothing, come and receive. You're not asking for anything. Let me tell you right now, the world will tell you that somehow we stand in this exclusive club ready to beat people down. That's not our faith at all. Our faith is hands wide open, ready to bring people in. We don't get to call the shots. Once Jesus gets to be Lord, he gets to call the shots on all the things in life. He gets to call the shots on human sexuality. He gets to call the shots on male, female. He gets to call the shots on where we live in our lives. If at Acts 17, I was looking at the argument that Paul was having in, he was in Athens and there was this one, they had, he was in the marketplace and there were all these little thrones or all these little altars for all these little gods that they all worshiped. And there was one that said to the unknown God and he came in and he said, I want you all to know. He began to preach in that place. And he said, this one unknown God, oh, he's actually known. And in fact, he's not just one of these. He is the creator of the universe. And, there, and he says, there's only one right. There's only one way to be right with him through his son who gave his life. And you know what? They mocked him and laughed at him because they thought of a God who would die who would follow that? And he said, this is the way forward. With humility, trusting in the one king who would give his life for ours so that we could be ransomed. It's so powerful and so important for us to understand and know. The whole world's standing on exclusive claims. We just stand in the place where the one where God invited us to know him. And we got to say, yes, what a privilege. You guys stand with me. We'll close out. Father, I thank you that we don't stand 
as those who have it figured out. We stand as the ones like everyone else across the earth who has fully failed and fallen short. And yet you opened your hand and you called us by name and you brought us into your family. And we receive sonship and daughtership. And I want to even encourage you where you're at right now to just allow the lordship of Jesus to come wash over you again where he gets to call the shots on your life. Where he gets to come and bring life and vitality and health and beauty. His beauty, his goodness, his faithfulness. And you get to give him all of your ashes, all the things where you fell short, all the places where you've doubted, all the places where you were not faithful. We give them to him. And if you're in this room or you're online right now and you've never followed Jesus, you maybe even wrestle with this idea that Jesus is the only way. That only way, hear that, that only way is inviting you to come and be with him. He isn't pointing his finger in anger, demanding. His hands and feet are scarred to express to you wide open how much he loves you and he's for you and he wants you in his family. And I thank you, God, that that's who you are. I thank you that that's your character. I can't believe that we get to worship such a faithful, kind, merciful, good God, fully righteous in holiness and yet fully loving and merciful. We receive that and we thank you, Lord. You walk with him again. Let him have fresh and new access into your heart to lead you in faithfulness. We'll have some prayer partners that will be available to pray uh, as soon as I dismiss. You guys can go grab. We're celebrating today baptism, so there'll be some um, cupcakes out there. So you grab a cupcake on your way out. Grab some coffee. I'm going to pray just a blessing over us as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And today he'll give you his peace. In the name of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you. We'll see you.